Hey there, Fellowship family. You are listening to a channel created for the church in Winchester, Virginia and beyond with the purpose to encourage, inspire, and equip you to love God and love others more and more. I'm Ashton, your host for today, and sitting with me at the round table are John and Diane Morrison. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. I've been able to sit with John the last couple, so it's nice to have uh, Diane here with us for this this really this first episode of our focus on identity and sexuality. So the first two episodes that we did these last two weeks were really introductory, really kind of getting to know you guys, getting to know the heart and the passion and the purpose behind our next uh, two, three month focus on identity and sexuality. So before we jump in, uh, we have some questions that we're going to go through today and and just uh, kind of unpacking what we're going to be focusing on today. Um, but Diana, I'd love for you to just maybe share a little bit about who you are, uh, your experience at fellowship, your anything that you'd like to share for people that, that might want to know uh, before we get going. Well, I'm Diane Morrison, and I feel like I should wear a name tag that says John's wife, uh, because that's how everybody connects me when they meet <laughs> me. But I've, I'm involved currently here at fellowship in the preschool ministry and also with Women of Fellowship. And um, we've been here 26 years. Awesome. Do you have any, just like a quick, how you came to know the Lord, just a brief testimony of of where you came from? Yep. I grew up in Texas and came to know the Lord when I was eight years old at a Christian camp um, in Paladura Canyon, if anyone knows where that is. (laughs) But, um, you know, grew up being discipled primarily by my grandparents. Awesome. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. Thank you. Um, well, let's jump right in. So I've got some questions that I'll bounce off you and then go from there. Okay. Hopefully branch off and have some good conversation. Uh-huh. And Yeah, good. I'm looking forward to it. So our title for today's podcast uh, is God's Complementary Design for Male and Female. Um, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, I'll start off on that sure. if I can. Um the, today, there's a uh, real debate that has been going on in society for, oh, about 60 years, uh, and increasingly in the church, that debate is going on. Uh, the debate in the church is maybe 30 to 40 years old, maybe started in the 70s or thereabouts, more or less, and is showing up more and more, but it started in the culture back around maybe 1950, and that was... The idea in the Christian realm, the question would be asked, um, uh, might be asked this way, um, has God prescribed various um, purposes and roles for men and for women to play? Hmm. The society beginning at about 1950 began asking that question. Christian culture began a little bit behind that. And has been asking that question, um, like say in a secular audience, it wasn't has God designed. It was just, um, gosh, maybe the culture of having men lead in the home, maybe the culture of having women be in the primary role of taking care of kids, maybe that's not uh, necessary. Maybe we can throw that around and do something entirely different. And so really what we're starting with in terms of this design is that we believe from the very beginning God 
actually design man and woman, male and female, to complement one another. Hmm. Uh, not complement, although we do that too. Um, I, Diane's grandfather said to me one time when Diane and I had been married about 15 years, uh, John, I pity the poor man who can't outmarry himself, and I'm glad to see that you were able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the truth. So I have a lot of compliments going Diane's yeah. direction. But this is that other word with an, an E in the middle, yeah. complement, which is the idea of a piece and a piece fitting together for a common purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, so when we look at God's complementary design for male and female, what we're saying is, there is something different and unique about a male, mm-hmm. something different and unique about a female. And by the same token, that doesn't mean that they're cookie cutters. It doesn't mean every woman is the same. It doesn't mean every man is the same. It's just saying that at a foundational level, there are some designed purposes that God has for um, what we now call gender, mm-hmm. which is that living out of of our sexual identity uh, as a male or living out our sexual identity as a female. And so um, that's the idea that we have. How, how does a man and a woman with their unique personalities and background, with their unique strengths and weaknesses, how do they follow a path if God has actually laid out a path mm-hmm. that is uh, purposeful and intentional and cross-cultural? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we mean. Awesome. Yeah. I, I appreciated what you said about the, not being cookie cutter, mm-hmm. you know, that, that this has nothing to do about our uniqueness, um, our, our personality, our gifting, mm-hmm. our, and any of those things that make us unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even, uh, you know, just right here at the start, this is not about, you know, that men are never called to submit to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something or mm-hmm. or women are never called to love sacrificially mm-hmm. you know we see these examples in scripture that mm-hmm. there there are more intentional uh things written towards male and female men mm-hmm. and women mm-hmm. but there there's something that um we are all called to mm-hmm. as christ followers mm-hmm. um as as believers um but there are specific things that we want to talk about that that are distinctive yeah. um, b- between genders and, and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, Although I think our, our femininity and our masculinity does play out in those things sure. like giftings yeah. and yeah. things that God has uniquely made you for, mm-hmm. and we have a feminine twist on it or a masculine twist on right. it. Um, well, and that's, that's so, beautiful. I mean, that's yeah. how it's meant to be and how mm-hmm. we were created to be. Yeah. Well, great. So you, you, you mentioned a couple of these words already, but, you know, we hear these nouns of, of sex and gender thrown around. And, and sometimes it they can seem like they're interchangeable, mm-hmm. um, especially mm-hmm. culturally where we mm-hmm. are now. Um, so are are they the same thing? And, and if not, what what is gender and how does it differ from differ from sex? I think that's a good question. I was just watching a uh, really good video series that we're doing as an adult. Sunday school class here at Fellowship um, Adult Learning Center, we call it. And it's on sexuality and the culture. Mm. And uh, it's just a short-term class that we're offering for a few months here, and we started about three weeks ago. And uh, the the people, the the men and women who are doing the teaching in this particular series are doing a really good job, probably the best I've ever seen, for addressing issues of gender and issues of sexuality and getting into what's going on in the culture, but what the scripture says underlying it. And 
I just think they're doing a great job. But it was interesting because one of the speakers last, this last episode used gender and sexuality, or gender and sex interchangeably in his, hmm. he would say, well, you know, the sex this, the gender this, and he didn't make a distinction. And even when he tried to address it, he said, they're really kind of the same thing. Um, but I, I don't think that's right. I don't think hmm. that's uh, even particularly helpful. Uh, in, in this way, sex is really a, a biological term. Mm. And I'm not talking about the act of sex, right. the way we use the verb, but I'm talking about the noun. The idea of male or, and the idea of female is actually a sexual term. It's a term about biology, yeah. about um, what kind of genitalia, what kind of internal reproductive organs we have, um, whether we are XY or XX. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, neurological differences, musculoskeletal differences. There are really interesting, there's even difference in blood, uh, which I didn't know, between a man and a woman. That somebody can, can do a sample of blood and know it's female blood or male blood, which is so interesting. Um, but there are these physiological differences um, that make up the sex. But gender, up until... 60 or 70 years ago, gender was just a grammatical term. It meant if you're speaking French or if you're speaking Spanish or you're writing Latin, you use certain endings for feminine nouns, neuter nouns, masculine nouns. You have these certain endings. So it was a grammatical term, but starting 60, 70 years ago, gender began to be inserted in the culture as a description of um, behaviors, norms, um, to some extent, expectations, but in a way, it was basically the roles that people play, hmm. um, and um, and so the, so gender really is about more the role people play and the behaviors they do than it is about their sexuality, their their um, their biological hmm. sex. So that's the the big difference, and the way those work out is. God made them male and female. That's a sex description in Genesis 1. He made them male and female. But the question that we're talking about when we think of complementarianism is complementarianism is at a sexual level. There's this complement between male and female. They're actually built in such a way that they fit together. Hmm. And and there's a complementarianism in that way. But then there's also a complementarianism in terms of um, some of the roles that that people uh, fulfill. And um, so, so that idea of the difference, I think that's, um, you know, that's a way of, a way of describing the difference. The Culturally, they have been used interchangeably. If you think about forms, you fill out, it says, what gender are you, mm-hmm. male or female? Mm-hmm. So it is, it is confusing, especially in today's debates, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. sometimes I don't know that we define our terminology before we start. Mm-hmm. And if we, looked at, if we looked at forms before 1950, 1960, we would find all those would say sex, not gender. Oh, that's gender, interesting. Gender has really just shown up in the last 20 or 30 years on forms. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, just as a, kind of a follow-up, and you've already kind of touched on a little bit, and, and Diane, feel free to jump in whenever. Um, how do you see God's design for male and female to complement one another. So, so like what, what are the practical, what are the 
kind of the details and, and maybe even there's some scripture there or, or mm-hmm. some, some thoughts of, of the, how does, how do they actually complement one another? We can, I'd love to have us address that, but we'll say right off the bat, some of what it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Diane and I have sometimes been to marriage conferences and whenever they use, they'll say typical men and then they'll fill in the blank mm-hmm. or typical women and they'll fill in the blank. We always look at each other and we just say, that's not us. <laughs> yeah. At one point I said, I'm not going to any more marriage conferences because yeah. they always start out with, well, when men do X, Y, Z and in our relationship, we have, we're, we're never fit in those categories. Yeah. We're the opposites yeah. Yeah. because he's the more language based relational. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the more analytical, mm-hmm. you know, mathematical bottom line person. And so, I know that they're just, I know they're making generalities, which are helpful right, sometimes, right. but I think there are frustrations when you don't fit into the mold and you're yeah. like, oh, I don't want to do this again. So we know it doesn't, and that's a lot, that's along the lines of giftings and yeah. things you were mentioning yeah. earlier. It's like when we've had repairmen come to our house or people <laughs> like we've recently had some work done, some remodeling work, and uh, invariably the, the guys who are doing this, it's all, so far it's been all guys. And when the guys talk to us about the remodeling stuff, hmm. they always look at me. They don't look at Diane. And invariably, I almost have to grab their cheek, at their <laughs> chin, and point them, towards, I point them towards Diane yeah. because she is the one who's mechanical. Yeah. She's the one who knows how things go. She's good with her hands. She's good with physical things. She can see things that aren't there. Yeah. And for me, it's... You know, I don't. I'm there along for the ride in right. large measure. But so I think it's important to say that when we do talk about what the Bible says, we ought to guard ourselves against assuming mm-hmm. that um, women are going to naturally be drawn to babies. Men are naturally going to be drawn to working with their hands. Percentage-wise, there are more of those that are that way. But I don't know that that's necessarily what the Bible lays out. Right. Well, it's not always helpful. Like you said, I mean, uh, go to conferences and you get those. And for you all, that's not helpful at all. (laughs) That's not applicable. And it's actually kind of painful. Right. But, um, we were also discussing the whole identity issues in scripture that a majority of the time it talks about it in relation to men and women. Mm -hmm. And so some of the difficulty I do think in this subject is the Bible starts off right right away with Adam and Eve, and she's made to be his helper. So we're talking about a marriage situation right mm-hmm. off. And um, and yet Paul speaks that singleness is really the best mm-hmm. way to serve God in terms of our time and our commitments, mm-hmm. if, if we're called to that. So obviously singleness, there's a way to play out your masculinity and your femininity in a single mm-hmm. world. And yet I think so much of the biblical... Um, mandates and discussion of the that happens in the context of marriage mm-hmm. that sometimes I think single people can feel very um, kind of left out in the discussion yeah. and yet there's kind of a biblical you have to look at marriage and you have to look at the male female complementarian relationship but then you I think you can talk about how that plays out in singleness mm-hmm. right I, I've heard just often that what you're talking about within the context of marriage can sometimes be misapplied outside of marriage. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, the, the dictates and the things that God has spoken into about a, mm-hmm. a husband and a wife relationship yep. a lot of times can be applied into like a, a business yep. relationship yep. or mm-hmm. or even in the church, you know, mm-hmm. in these areas that are outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. So I do think we need to be really careful with mm-hmm. how we're applying scripture, uh, how we're how we're interpreting scripture and reading and then what that looks like in application. So mm-hmm. so like you say, I mean, yes, in singleness, really you know, I when I was single. I went through the gambit of teaching and, you know, from uh, misinterpretation, misapplication from, you know, of these teachings that were about uh, husband and wife relationships, mm-hmm. how they, they didn't really apply yeah. Yeah. correctly to, to yeah. me in my singleness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate that. No, I think that's true. And, and I think this is getting a little bit ahead, but it's yeah. part of the question that you're asking because I do, I mean, I'd like us to address a few of the specifics. Uh-huh. You say, how how do you see God's design for male and female complementing one another? Um, uh, I, I think um, one of the things that I just lost my train of thought um, is just something you just said. About misapplication of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, specifically what you said about yeah. in culture, um, there, there is there. I think for many people, there is sort of an assumption that what the Bible teaches is that all women are to submit to all men. Right. That's a big one. And that's that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Scripture's actually and then they very, totally skip the scripture that says we submit to one another. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there's there. Yeah. yeah. There's really a there's uh, so so. I'd like us to be able to look because I think these things are important and I think they're neglected, but I do think it's important to recognize that that this when the scripture speaks of a woman submitting to a man, uh, it it only speaks of that in one specific way, which is a woman submitting to her husband. Right. And it is a unique type of submission in the sense that um Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says that we're all to submit to one another. Mm-hmm. That's often overlooked when people teach that passage right. on marriage. But it's actually the culmination of verses 1 through 20 mm-hmm. that it's really saying that the way Christians relate with one another is a way of love where you defer to one another. And then it basically, when it goes into marriage in the rest of that passage, very familiar uh chapter 5, verse 22 and following, it says, wives, here's how you're to do it. Husbands, here's how you're to do it. But the form of submission uh, does look different in the sense that, again, we're getting ahead. I think it. We, I think rightly we ought to start in Genesis one, and I can mention that in a minute. Yeah. But I think with respect to where we are right now on this particular issue mm-hmm. of how does God design, God does tell men and women to submit themselves one to the other in the fear of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what. Uh, Ephesians 5.21 says. And it's interesting because in verse 22, where every English version says, wives, submit to your husbands, the word submit is always in italics because there's no verb in verse 22. The reason is verse 22 takes its verb from verse 21. Mm -hmm. So what that means is each of you submit to each other in the fear of Christ, meaning be more afraid of Christ than you are of, of submitting yourself in the way that that requires. Now, wives, you submit to yourself to your husband as your head, just as Christ is the head of the church. And so that that is her one of her assignments, one of the commands in the scripture that does relate to gender, that is a role for the sexes, 
But it also goes on to tell the husbands, now husbands, you laid down your lives for your wife like Christ did for the church mm -hmm. and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. And you look at that and you realize, well, wait a minute, this isn't fundamentally the way it's always been told me. Most people talk about this as a husband telling a wife to submit. Well, that's interesting. The passage never tells the husband to tell the wife to submit. God tells the wife, you submit yourself. He tells the husband, now you lay your life down for your wife. Mm -hmm. So is there a difference in that passage and is that connected to the rest of the Bible? Absolutely. But one of the things that to me is really important is I find it fascinating that in there are uh, five New Testament passages that talk about women and men in relationship to one another that I'm aware of. In four of the five, in the immediate context prior to any description about what the man is to do or the woman is to do, there is an even more lengthy section on what all Christians are to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. I think what God is doing is he's saying, I have an ethic for all Christian men and all Christian women that is to characterize you where you reflect the character of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to talk to you in a moment about what women can do to help that take place. I'm going to talk to you about what men can do to take help that take place. Yeah. But what I'm afraid we've sometimes done is we've truncated the passage. We go straight to two verses or six yeah. verses, which none of us should back away from. And some in the church are starting to back away from that more right now. That is, some that are gender-related. But what we ought to do is see the whole passage and recognize God has given us an ethic of mm -hmm. the fact that even though I have a God-assigned leadership of Diane, which is tough because Diane's smarter <laughs> than I am. She is quicker <laughs> than I am. She's frankly, in a lot of areas, got better judgment than I do. And, it, and, and she is a strong... And he's nicer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> She's a, so, so I have to somehow juggle this reality that I am to lead Diane, even if that means going up against somebody who's really confident and really assertive. And it could be easily tempting to either back away and just back off and let her do it because, frankly, she could do it. Right. She and a friend of hers used to say that if they had their choice of jobs in the world, they would each share the job of being Attila the Hun. And, and, and they could both kind of run the world, I, I, we, we think. Um, but the point is, Diane is actually, because of the scripture, decided th 38 years ago that she would submit herself to me. Hmm. And even though I was very afraid of taking the role of leadership because I didn't feel like I had that ability, I didn't know what it looked like, I. I hadn't seen a lot of that in, in my life, and, and I certainly didn't think I was naturally any kind of better leader than Diane, because naturally I don't think I am. But I believe that God does speak to these things enough to say, you're still to lead. And it actually begins all the way back in Genesis 1. So I don't know what you think. I mean, I said a lot there. Well, it's important to note, like, to note that, that that role is not like a CEO of a company role. Mm -hmm. you're not in in that kind of leadership because in that in that passage in the Ephesians 5 it's it's a sacrificial mm -hmm. a, a laying down of your life for her um in a modeling of Christ and how he led the church and how he how he treated uh her so I don't know if I would agree that it isn't a CEO I I actually think it kind of is um 
Now, in some ways, Diane operates as a COO, a chief operating officer. <laughs> um, but I think, I think Jesus was, although he deferred himself in a sacrificial way, like you say, mm-hmm. he really still led in the sense that someone else had a great idea. You know, like in Mark chapter 1, he's at the end of the chapter. He's been healing people at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Mm-hmm. late into the night. He wakes up in the morning before it's light. He goes out and prays in a lonely place. A couple of the apostles come and find him and say, they're already at the door again. They're ready. Could you please come back? There's a whole town worth people who want to still be healed. I mean, they've been talking about you, you know, and, and, uh, and Jesus said, no, let's, let's go out to the other towns for me to preach because that's what I came out for. In other words, he still had a CEO's vision of following the Father's purpose. Sure. And I do actually think that's included, um, even though Diane is a better executor than I am, I think there is... Uh, a vision-setting component to leadership. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and, and we didn't... we Genesis 1, I, I mean, I mentioned that earlier, but kind of got ahead of ourselves. I think it's interesting you know in Genesis 1 we get this thing called the creation mandate in verse 26 and following where it reads then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them God Bless them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the f- birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so in this thing that's called the creation mandate, God says that he wants to live out his image in male and female. Now, there's a passage in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 11 that says, Man was created in God's image and woman was created in man's image. And so we know that that happens to be true. We know the woman was made out of the man. But we also know that God here is saying male and female reflect my image mm-hmm. together. And, and if we were to go on, there's something that is really interesting that I think we see happen in chapter 2 from that. It, and that is this idea of differences and similarities, which is almost in microcosm a picture of um, of this idea of God's design for male and female. He, In chapter 2, he tells the man, I want you to tend and keep this garden. And he gives him two words, Hebrew words, Habad and Shamar, which, which mean to be hands-on involved, and to be an overseer. Interestingly, the very exact same concepts in the New Testament that flash over to the words deacon and elder. Hmm. The elder is the overseer. That's the shamar. The deacon is the hands-on guy. That's the, um, that's the habad. Uh, the tend and keep is something that God gives to the man. He then tells the woman, uh, or he's he lets the man find out that it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. 
The New Testament comes back and says, remember, the man was made first and the woman was made for the man. It's not popular to say that right now because people feel like that minimizes the value of women or the significance of women. But the Bible says it. And and I believe the Bible says that not merely as a description of what happens, but as a part of a prescription, prescription of what happens, which is to say God is saying that man has this role that is taking care of a certain field of enterprise, in this case, the garden. And the wife is coming along, his, his wife, this woman, is coming along to help him. Her first place that she helps, her first role, is to help his aloneness. Her second role is she is uniquely capable of bearing the children that could fill the earth. And this man will never fill the earth by himself. He could only fill the earth if his children had children who had children who had children. And he could never subdue the earth by himself unless he, together with his wife and their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren, all exercise their gifts in such a way that the whole world could be subdued and ruled. And so I think when we look at this issue of how do male and female complement one another, it's clear in the passage that the man has a certain role. We actually could get into Genesis 3 where sin comes and see even more about those roles because the curse that happens on the man is related to his Habad and Shemar of the garden. The curse on the woman is specifically about her relationship to her husband and her children. And so there is a difference that I think gets maintained throughout the scripture uh, about the man and the woman, but at the same time with a certain flexibility that we talked about at the beginning when we say it's not cookie cutter. And, and so as I look at this, I think God's design was, Diane used the word, a certain visionary responsibility. Um, I think it's that. I think it's also spiritual. Um, the scripture tells us that the man is to be responsible to train up his children in the way in which they should go. It doesn't mean that the wife doesn't. Diane's done a great deal of training of our children, and she's beginning that role with our grandchildren now. But the first burden biblically about the difference is that the burden for training children falls on the father. And that's part of this thing that the buck, in a sense, stops with him. He and his wife would work together. They might do different parts, again, because of gifts and strengths. But ultimately, God is holding this man responsible, um, like he does in Psalm 78, where he says, you're to teach the next generation in such a way that they will teach their children, in such a way that they, will they, the next generation, will teach the ones not yet born. Four generations of responsibility falling on the man. And uh, so, anyway, I think God's design for male and female, the things that he gives the man to do and the things he gives the woman to do, I think, fit together in some ways we may see over the next few weeks. But I, I talked a lot there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I, I really see it, too, when you when Eve took the fruit. Um, their eyes weren't open till Adam took the fruit. And I do think it had to do with, with God speaking directly to the man in his original command to not eat the fruit. But I, I wonder, too, how much that plays out hmm. 
in terms of um, res- what we're held accountable for before the mm-hmm. Lord. Yeah, because I to, don't know how that. Really... Well, to back that up, Romans five is the um, most direct description in the entire New Testament about the nature of sin being um, judged upon mankind. And it specifically says the man, the the first man, Adam, was responsible for the sin. The woman isn't even mentioned as being responsible for the sin. And I think that goes along exactly with what you're saying. Yeah, so I think those passages really are good to look at, too, when you're considering, you know, the whole gender identity issues mm-hmm. in Scripture. It's not just is the mandates and also how sin mm-hmm. is is how how man is held responsible for sin, men and women, because there's a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, I I hope people understand this. When I say the man was given the responsibility to Chabad and Shamar, the garden, that means women shouldn't work in a garden. Or that the woman was to help him in his aloneness, therefore he should never be concerned about her aloneness. Hmm. That's not what we're saying. What we're talking about is, or least what I'm talking about. I, I don't want to uh, know whether Diane said the same thing or not, but what, what I'm saying is I think that as the man takes responsibility to provide care for his area of work, hands-on care and oversight, and does the same thing for his home, that he's exercising a responsibility that was mandated to him. Now, there will be situations where a man can't. There will be situations where a man is overseas for six months on a, on a Navy assignment. His wife's going to have to do all those things. Um, but he has that lead responsibility, and, um, and that responsibility, um, he does in 1 Corinthians 11 and in Ephesians 5, he does refer to it as a headship. And yet, like you said, there's also that sacrificial component to that headship and so it's a it's a balance of this is the direction we need to go but you're showing tremendous respect for your wife you're listening to her you're valuing her first uh, peter 3 7 is the number one verse i give young men when they're getting married because I, I tell them look if you only learn one thing in the first five years of marriage just one thing let it be first peter 3 7 why because peter who is a talkative apostle and has lots to say, is also a married apostle. He's not only under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he knows marriage. And he manages in a gender comment to husbands to put all of it in a most succinct statement in the Bible. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel because she's a woman, but grant her honor as a co-heir of the grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. What that tells me is my responsibility with Diane, um, when Diane and I had conflicts early in our marriage, one of the areas of conflict was what was about humor. I would make sarcastic comments and little put downs that I thought were really funny. All my friends would have thought they were funny. And Diane would just look and she would just say, just not funny. And I can remember trying to change her sense of humor. I wanted to change this thing about her because she just didn't get it, and I thought I could change that, literally until I ran across that passage. 
And all of a sudden, I realized God's saying, are you living with her according to understanding, or are you trying to get her to change? And that was so convicting. But then the next part is, treat her as a weaker vessel because she's a woman. Well, Diane doesn't come across as weak in any way. She's very, she's strong in every respect. But God tells me, treat her as a weaker vessel, even if she seems to be eminently strong because she's a woman. And that is, it's not talking about physical strength. It's, it's talking about as a person, I think the way you look at that is like that she might be more easily injured than you in this relationship. So that means at times when I would get frustrated, if I was to talk to her the way I would one of my brothers or a buddy, I would be squishing her. And as a husband, I can't do that. Not only that, I can't look down my nose at her and say, you poor little thing, you're just a woman. Because the very next component of the verse says, and you treat her as an equal, as a co-heir of the grace of life. In other words, in God's sight, she's equal to you. Don't you dare forget it, or else it'll hinder your prayers. Meaning, I'm not going to be working on your behalf if you can't do with her what I do for you. Because God lives with me in an understanding way. God treats me as a weaker vessel because I'm just human. God... Um, treats me as a co-heir with his son. And God's saying, if I'm doing that with you, how dare you not do that with your wife? And, and uh, so to me, I think this idea of headship, of taking that responsibility that's woven into the scripture is, is countermeasured by, and man, you better do it with the type of tenderness and the type of, of uh, humility and care and value of this woman that I've given you. Um, I'm sorry, I, I talked too much there. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if we're close to getting ready to wrap up, but what are some of these, what are some like next steps that we can point people to? You know, this is going to be a weekly podcast. This is just the first episode. We're going to be doing this um, over the next three months, specifically about the, the topic of identity and sexuality. So what, what over this next week... Um, if there are some things that people can look forward to or some actions that they can take uh, mm-hmm. as they uh, as they finish up listening to this. Um, I know I didn't prepare you for this, but no, that's okay. throw, that, throw that to that's you. That's okay. Do you have any thoughts first? My only thought is I, I used to think that that Genesis passage was so weird how I said he, he made them male and female, and it says that several times. Yeah, and thinking okay, like, why is this a big deal? And now it's become a big deal in the church and in our culture. And I think what makes me sad when I look at a younger generation is sure there's been, because of sin, there's always been misunderstandings or abuses in certain parts of that male-female thing, and there's been damage done. But I wish, like if I was to wish for people, and for especially Christians, that we could rejoice in those differences mm-hmm. and not be, you know, find love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control in those areas in a way that we're not so filled with angst. Jesus Christ may, I mean, he made us the way we are, mm-hmm. and we may have different giftings than other men or women, but it's an adventure with him to find out how that plays out in our lives instead of 
something we have to fight against or you know I, I wish for more peace and less struggle yeah. in the lives of believers especially young women and men today yeah. I wish for young men to not be afraid to to take leadership and um, even if it's a different kind of leadership than maybe their dad had and for young women to not be afraid to be feminine and it doesn't have to do necessarily with makeup and clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to do with care and love and how you express that. Mm-hmm. That's what I wish would be the action point yeah. in the discussion. Well, I think, I think I'm glad that we're starting, and we always do this at Fellowship, but starting with the biblical foundations. Mm-hmm. Because I think when we look at Scripture, if we really dig in and do the study and do the work that God has laid out a very grace-filled mm-hmm. uh, plan mm-hmm. and and design and mm-hmm. I think the tendency is to come at it with uh, wanting to prove something that mm-hmm. we want to be true when we go into scripture or to reinforce our own ideas um, or, or to push for equality in in every single possible way um, mm-hmm. and I think scripture very clearly and very graciously if we're open to it lays out all of those mm-hmm. those things in the way that God has designed. And, and it's for freedom that Christ has right, set us exactly. free to yep. do his thing. And yeah. we should approach scripture with a critical mind mm-hmm. in the way that like the the Bereans did to understand it in context like we're talking mm-hmm. about some of these passages. Yep. But we shouldn't approach it with a critical spirit of of a cultural criticism. Mm-hmm. Our culture does not understand the biblical mandate. We should approach scripture with an open mind that that God does things the opposite of the world. And um, my sexual identity has been a struggle because sin affects your identity. And, and if it's broken your identity, it breaks it in femaleness and maleness. Mm-hmm. And yet we... God restores all things. And so I I think we the church needs to find a freedom. <laughs> and then I think we can carry out the mandates Christ's given us in an awesome and attractive way to a lost and dark world that's full of angst and despair. And we don't have to despair about these such things, so that's the visionary that's comment. Well, <laughs> that's, that's I like that. Yeah, yeah I kind of hate to speak after that. Um, <laughs> but I'll just say, I'll say uh, two things. One, in the answer to what, what next, the next couple of podcasts will be focusing specifically on maleness and femaleness individually. So as we look at this idea of... Um, uh, the way the way the sexes are to live out their identity, um, the areas where God has commanded a difference, the areas where God has indicated a difference, the areas that are quite up for grabs. Um, uh, I do better at writing Christmas letters. Diane does better at balancing books. There are a lot of areas that are up for grabs. There are some things that God has laid out. And for Diane and me, those things helped us make decisions throughout our life together. Um, Not with me putting her under my thumb, 
Uh, I told somebody the other day, I think that there have only been two or three times in 38 years where we discussed something. I knew exactly what Diane thought. We came to a point where a decision had to be made, and I just said, I, I, I need to pull the trigger this way, meaning that was part of the CEO that it fell to me. But I, th- I see that as really rare. I mean, literally 99.9% of the time, Diane and I are going to work it out together. Uh, and I think that comes in part because we've been trying to learn for all this time how to respect each other and value each other and listen to the scriptures. So I think dealing with uh, genders in specific ways, female and male, over the next couple of weeks will be one thing that we can do. Um, and um, and the other thing is, we'll talk about this, I think, probably in one of the next few uh episodes, I think it's really, really important whether you're a woman or a man, whether you're a man who is afraid of taking leadership or you gladly take leadership, but you tend to be a boss, or whether you're a woman who's afraid of men's leadership or want to assert your role and want to make sure you don't get squished. What I want to do is call people specifically to trusting God and humbling themselves under his mighty hand. Because I just find that whenever I try to assert myself or protect myself, I become self-reliant and I I become fear-driven. And what I want to do instead is I want to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to show me. And if you have a role for me to fill, you'll provide. And um, I'm just going to not only learn to trust you, but I'm going to learn to humble myself because if I do have a role to fill, I better do it with the type of humility that characterized Christ and that characterizes love so that I'm not um, rising up and proving I'm a leader or proving that I'm an equal or something like that. And so I don't know how helpful that is, but in answer to your question, that's where I would, where I would go. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find this if you're watching us on YouTube. You can uh, subscribe anywhere you get the podcasts. Um, we have an audio version that we put out. You can listen to while you're driving or around the house. Um, also, just specifically for this focus, uh, we wanted to open up the opportunity for you to ask questions. Um, and and somewhere throughout the focus or, or scattered throughout, we want to answer those questions and, and talk about things that specifically that FBC, the FBC family is wrestling with uh, questions that they have. Um, so I encourage you to go online, uh, fbcvia.life slash podcasts. And there's a form at the bottom there that you can submit questions to. Um, you can also, at, if you're at church at the home center, we'll have a, a box so you can write down questions and submit those there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have a couple opportunities yes. uh, either on the podcast or, or in a, a, have a kind of a Q&A town hall mm-hmm. type meeting a couple right. a couple different ones coming right. late february and, and in march mm-hmm. um so we want you to be a part of the conversation not just us talking mm-hmm. at you so um which i think we would do and you'd be great at but <laughs> we want you to be a part of it uh so thanks for listening thanks for watching uh we'll see you again next week <laughs>